everybody, and welcome back to Fixing Chicago, the podcast focused on what right looks like and how to achieve peace, educate the kids, restore vitality, and reinvent Chicago for success moving into and through the 21st century. Today's guest, we are very excited to have Peter Wagner. He's uh, from Oak Park, Illinois, and the topic is going to be connecting with the city on a personal level. Pete, welcome to the show. Thank you, Paul. Very glad to be here. It's great having you. How was your day today? My day was great, Paul. I saw a lot of the city, and uh, it was a gorgeous day here in Chicago, as you know. And um, it was uh, uh, just uh, uh, happy to be happy to be alive and be out there and uh, experiencing our beautiful city. Awesome. Awesome. I went to, uh, I took my mom out to lunch and went to a Loyola soccer game up in Rogers Park. They played Dayton to a scoreless draw, but it was a great game. Dayton's and did 16th they win? in the country at the moment. Yeah, they tied. They tied. Okay. But Dayton's ranked top 20, and they earned oh. it. They're a really good team. So. The Dayton Flyers. Uh, yes, sir. All right, Pete. So tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would, just to get this thing rolling. Uh, perhaps... And I already know the answers, but uh, for the audience, where did you grow up? Well, Paul, I uh, actually grew up, uh, when we first moved to Oak Park, our family lived actually by, we lived right down the street from Wrigley Field uh, when I was a young young child, until kindergarten. Uh, I went to the Blaine uh, grade school, right across the Music Box Theater, and uh, my father and mother would walk us down. We'd play on the fire engine across the street from Wrigley Field, and uh, then, um, our house got a little small as a lot of families did, uh, in the city. And we ended up moving to, uh, to Oak Park. My parents kind of narrowed things down to Evanston or Oak Park. And, uh, my mom used to always tell the story that, uh, at the time that the Oak Park River Forest High School had invested $1 million in their art department. And she was always very impressed by that. And I think that's what made their decision to move to Oak Park. Uh, we lived where Village Hall is right now uh, until I was in seventh grade. At that point, they literally purchased the village, purchased the whole block to uh, tear down for Village Hall. And um, they gave a lot of advantages to relocate in Oak Park. So my parents uh, relocated to uh, about a half a block west of um, uh, St. Edmunds, which is, I know, the parish that you grew up in. So you and I, even though we didn't know it, uh, lived about two blocks from each other when we were young, uh, young kids. I ended up going to uh, Hawthorne Grade School. We went to Catholic school for the first three years in Oak Park and uh, then went to the public grade school. And uh, even when we moved to Grove, uh, I continued one more year at Hawthorne to graduate. Went to Oak Park River Forest High School and graduated in 1978 from there. And continued on to college. Did you take advantage of that million dollars into the arts program? I got a tour of their, of their facility just uh, maybe two years ago and it was awesome. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yes, I did. Incredible. I, 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 oh, you did. It, it really bloomed. Uh, they had quite an extensive photography department, uh, which is something that I really gravitated to fairly early on in high school and really enjoyed it and took other art classes and kind of had a feeling that art was going to be 
a medium that I was really going to uh, really excel at. So uh, I really enjoyed it and uh, really got a lot out of the high school. I played a musical instrument all through grade school and high school, which a lot of people are very surprised when I tell them I played the flute. But back like then, Burgundy. You, yeah, back then when you picked an instrument in fourth grade at music that my name starting with W I was toward the end of the list of kids picking instruments and I wanted to play the trumpet because my grandfather on my mom's side had played the trumpet and uh, they were out of trumpets. And so the, um, the musical director started making suggestions. He said, well, I've got a trombone. I said, no, I don't want to play trombone. He said, and I, I, even though I really I think enjoyed, the mechanics of a trombone would be pretty rough, yes. you know? And even though I really enjoy the sound of woodwind instruments, I didn't want to play that. It was not, I wanted more of an exact technical kind of feel to an instrument. So he kept making suggestions and uh, nothing really kind of excited me. And then he said, well, how about the flute? And I said, you know, the boys don't play the flute, even though at the time Jethro Tull played the flute and uh, the lead in the Chicago Symphony was a male uh, in the flute department. Now, and um, quick side said, question, Jethro Tull, was that the band name or was he? Was that no, that was the band name. I, I, I can't sort remember of like the Led Zeppelin. Yeah. 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 I, but uh, I, th- I think I knew that answer, but I had to ask yeah. the question. But the band or the the, uh, musical director said to me, he goes, well, he said, it'll be easy to carry to school every day. And I looked at it and said, yeah, you're right. Okay." So 12 years later, I continued played all through high school and uh, and really, really enjoyed it. Uh, Even though there were very few male flute players, uh, I had no problem with that. So. uh, All right. I I don't know if you can pull the the flute out for the podcast, but. if you need to pause, actually, and, and my flute it, we're, was we're my flute got donated to uh, one of your old neighbors, Henry Wagner, who played the flute ah. in the marching band at Proviso East High School. So uh-huh. my flute uh-huh. actually went to him. So all right, well, <laughs> at least it lives on. It lives on. Yes. All right, so where did you go to college? So um, at that point, my parents were not on board of an art career. Uh, so they really wanted to push me into a more of a business background. So I enrolled at Illinois State University and started in um, business and agribusiness, which after the first year, I just really, really did not like. I, I just knew right yeah. away that I, this was just not for me. This was not my thing. And I went a second year. I, I really... More of my major was partying and having fun, which is one of the reasons I really enjoyed going away to school. But by my sophomore year, I had taken some art classes there. And even my art instructors at Illinois State had told me, you don't belong here. You really do need to go to an art school at this point. So at that point, I um, I started looking around and really... My parents felt there was kind of a comp- my parents were okay with me going to art school, but they definitely compromised saying, you know, you really should go to an art school in Chicago because if you want to get a job afterwards, you'll probably have a better bet in Chicago. So pretty much narrowed my choices down to the Art Institute and Columbia College. 
and Columbia College. Both schools are very good, but I felt Columbia College had more of a uh, a business sense to it. In other words, you weren't just going to get a degree in art and do whatever that you actually, they were going to train you if you want to get a career in art, you ah, make money and sense. make a living at this. So, uh, so that my choice was Columbia college and I ended up going there for three years just because, you know, there was, uh, a lot of things did not overlap with Illinois state. Some things did, but not a lot to well, where I'm thinking the crossover between agribusiness and, and photography or, or the arts is minimal. That Venn diagram doesn't overlap a lot. After college, what kind of jobs did you take on? Well, when I first got out of school, uh, my major emphasis in at Columbia, uh, probably the area that I excelled in, uh, was studio photography. I had worked as a, um, mm. I got a job pretty quickly uh, with a um, studio photographer in downtown Chicago, and he photographed for Play School, which was bought out by Hasbro, which made children's toys. And we photographed their catalog for, you know, back then, you know, your the catalog was a big deal. Uh, everyone got the catalog of all the product. And it, it was a little stressful. Um, I, of course, went in to apply for this job and uh, the photographer looked at me and at the time I, you know, I had played football and played sports and uh, I had lifted weights and I was all excited to show him my portfolio of work. And uh, he looked at me and he looked at my shoulders and he said, I'm going to hire you. And I said, don't you want to look at my work? And he goes, he goes, no, he goes, you know what? You're, you're fine with that. He goes, uh, do you have any problem carrying two by fours from the lumber yard? And I'm like, no, no, I'm fine with that. He goes, <laughs> yeah. you're hired. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so we had, we had quite a bit, of, we had quite a bit of fun. I, I really learned a lot from him, and um, it really helped me on how I treated when I took on part time help and interns in my business of how to treat people that I had taken on by how he treated me. We went out to lunch every day. He, he said he believed and you took your assistant out to lunch every day. Things got a little heated there, but oh, it was great. actually quite funny when they did get heated. He would be on the phone with, with the main headquarters out east. And I remember once he's sitting on his phone and he starts yelling. He's like, God darn it. He goes, I need that snuffleupagus here today. <laughs> possibly the only time that phrase has ever been uttered yes yes so now it's everything twice. we talked about all these toys even though it's you know very you know critical photos but they were all kids toys so which was quite funny you know i mean you know he would get frustrated if we couldn't get the jack-in-the-box to pop up the right way and you know i mean there's all sorts of interesting stuff but so in the meantime, some of my friends who I had gone down to for a semester, I had thought about uh, enrolling with them in sports marketing. Uh, they had all gotten their degrees from different universities. These are a lot of 
couple of my your neighbor were your old neighbors. Uh, one went to Creighton, one went to IIT, one went to DePaul, and I went to Columbia. And they were going to go down and get their degree, their master's degree in sports administration. I wasn't a hundred percent on board with that, but I said, "Hey, you know what? Maybe I'll, I'll just come down there and live with you guys for a semester." So I did. We were all close friends. Then. I, I kind of half jokingly said, well, as soon as whatever you guys get jobs, I go, just just get me a job wherever you guys go. And we kind of <laughs> laughed. But it sounds like a very youngest child kind of. Way yes. To go about getting yes, absolutely. And so sure enough, two of them got jobs at eventually got jobs at DePaul University. And ironically, they were looking for someone to take some pictures. And of course, my friends suggested me. I didn't, I had never photographed sports or action photos before. Most of my training was in still life, studio work. But, you know, I did have a very solid foundation of photo knowledge. And that's what college really did for me was it really built a solid foundation of now so was this at that, was this the Ray Myers days over in DePaul I got to DePaul literally the the right after Ray Meyer retired from coaching although Ray Meyer and I were were fast friends because we went to a lot of events and we went to a we hung out Ray and I basically spent a lifetime in a golf cart together uh, because I had to drive him around and we had to take pictures. Oh, wow. uh, What was he like? Ray and I became very close. And for a lot of people that don't realize, Ray Meyer actually lived in Oak Park for many years. He lived right at uh, just a little bit north of Washington Boulevard on Kyler, which is one block east of Ridgeland for many years before he moved to Palatine. I'm sorry, Arlington Heights. He moved to Arlington Heights. So yeah, we never... But what was he uh, so, like? What, what was uh, the great Ray Meyer like if you if you got to be he was what can you say? Ray Meyer was one of the sweetest men you would ever meet. He was just very, very good man. I mean, he was like a little kid. And, and, and just he was just so much fun just, just to be around. You know, this was back before cell phones. And I I remember I was going to call home to my mom and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a few minutes late for for dinner or whatever whatever time I was coming home. And I got called into someone else's office. And Ray Meyer was standing right there. I go, hey, Ray, can you just talk to my mom for a few minutes and stuff? Because I got to go, you know, tell this guy something. So Ray's like, Sure. Ray grabs the phone and I come back from my little mini meeting and Ray and my mom are just going talking away and, you know, reminiscing about (laughs) the old days and the Chicago park district. And, you know, I mean, they're just, you know, going to town and I come back and I'm like racing the middle of this conversation with my mom, you know, just, you know, talking away. Oh, it it was pretty funny. (laughs) So So Ray was a great guy. Oh, great. How long did you stay at DePaul? I was at DePaul almost 12 years. I was their team photographer. From DePaul, different people came and went. I actually moved up to Loyola, and I was actually doing DePaul 
and Loyola for a while. And then just... That seems uh, almost like an infidelity, but, you know, I won't say anything more about it. (laughs) I don't want to... Photographing for both DePaul and Loyola at the same time. But what back then, what would happen would be another school would come in and they'd ask you to photograph. I mean, I was DePaul's team photographer and I actually photographed the cover of, of Notre Dame's Women's Basketball Media Guide, you know, because I happened to take pictures of their women there. So you jumped around a lot with different teams and different, uh, for a while I was doing Northeastern Illinois, I was doing Lewis University, uh, you know, all different schools would, for one season, University of Wisconsin football hired me. As different employees wow, jumped yeah. around to different places, they would, they liked you and they would, they'd bring you on board, you know? So I see, I see. That's how it was, it, it was, it was not when you work in athletics, it's much different than when you are a fan of athletics. And all through my career in sports, I was not a fan. I was, I worked for the teams and there's a much different feeling when you're working for a team. It doesn't mean you don't root for your team. You do, but you don't have that mentality of you versus them. Your mentality is, you know what? Tomorrow I could be working for the team we're playing today. I mean, we're all human. I mean, there was times when, you know, we would be playing Notre Dame and, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I'm happy when we beat them. (laughs) You know, I mean, so, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are times where you, you definitely rooted for your team over the other team. But I know when I gravitated from there, while I was still at DePaul, I started doing work in professional baseball, in minor league baseball. Once again, somebody from at the time, Biscayne University, when we were down in Florida, was working for Kane County. So, and said, hey, you know, why don't you come out and snap some pictures for us? I could use you. Well, that started a 13-year career working for the Kane County Cougars and the Florida Marlin organization, which then got me oh, to cool. doing work with the Portland uh, Sea Dogs, which got me doing work for, you know, one of the other A-teams, which got me to a World Series game. So, when, oh, how cool. When Florida and, you know, here you are working for the Florida Marlins while they're beating the Chicago Cubs, which is a team that I followed when I was a kid. So, you know, uh, so, you know, you never know at that point. So so cool. Well, I've been I've been to the Chicago Dogs and to mm -hmm. Juliet Slammers. I've never been to King County Cougars. I've been to Florida Marlins, Mm -hmm. incidentally. Yeah, I actually. uh, I had not done work for baseball for quite a while, and then friends of ours were hired with the Chicago Dogs. So I actually worked for, uh, did about four or five games for the Chicago Dogs and kind of got back into baseball a little bit. It was kind of fun for me because I hadn't shot baseball. It's a gorgeous stadium. It's a nice stadium. It's a very nice stadium. Yeah, Yeah. it's gorgeous. Yeah, built by Rosemont. So yeah. I don't know quite about the organization of the team, but that's a whole different story. But anyway, but I literally well, just I drove for by my nephew's bachelor party. So, yes. On last Tuesday, I actually drove by the Joliet Slammer, Joliet Slammers game, Slammers Stadium yeah, Slammers. And, and said, you know, I've never been here before. I'd really like to go. So, Paul, maybe you and I will get a little road trip with another good friend of ours, Bob McBride, who 
works down that way. And maybe we'll go to a game next season. Oh, we should go. We should go. Yeah. I could get you tickets, you know, because a certain brother-in-law of mine actually owns the team. So, oh, well, there, uh, well, and there easy. you have it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great, it's, yeah, it's, it's a great state. It all works out team. sometimes. All right, all right. I, so let's get back to Chicago and tell me if you would about your time as a tour guide. Well, how did you get I, involved um, with that? And yeah, and what was I that uh, like? I've done a lot of things in my life, and uh, just many different things and. When I was at Loyola, working at Loyola and DePaul, the travel agent that booked the travel for the athletic department for both Loyola and DePaul at the time was a guy who owns a Diplomat Travel up on the northwest side of Chicago. And I had some some free time and he said he said, Hey, I, you know, at the time I was doing a lot of when I was traveling with the teams. As the team photographer, I was doing driving, driving the buses and the van, the the uh, small stuff, mainly for DePaul, uh, not as much for Loyola. But uh, I was very good at being a traveling secretary. Uh, there was a couple times that I filled in as coaches when one coach was his wife was having a baby, another coach there was some issues, and everything was super smooth. And he took note of this, and he had said to me, he said, "You know, you you're really good at this." I, one of my biggest corporate accounts is uh, Weber Stephen Products, which makes the Weber Grill. He goes, our family has known the Stephen family for many years. And he said, I'm looking for a corporate tour guide, someone that can meet the groups and at the airport and hang out with them and show them around and do all the stuff and then get them back on the plane. Uh, and he said, it probably would not be American groups. He said it would be mainly from all over the world. So oh, that's cool. So I've literally, uh, through my time working for Weber, and it's a very intense four to five days. It's usually they would come in on a Thursday, leave on a on a Monday, and be just very intense, like sixty hour, sixty plus hours for those four days. You'd be with wow, them the whole time. Yeah. You would. And be, then where would you take them? One day would be uh, a city tour. I would, I was, they made me, the travel agency made me take the test. So I'm actually considered a technically a official tour guide of the city of Chicago. They made me do that, which was fine. We would then go to lunch at Navy well, Pier. Well, tell me just a little about that process. Like, was that a difficult process to learn to be a tour guide? Uh, it take was, that test? It like, was, how do you prepare? It was, it was fairly easy for me because for one, I would, I would be either be driving or be on the bus with a tour guide that we hired. So we would hire different tour guides to do this. And mainly the reason that we would hire a tour guide would be they could do the tour in the native tongue. So we had a guy that we did it in, that would do it in German, a woman that would do it in French. We had Italian. Uh, so we would, they would hire a tour guide that could basically give these tours of the city in their in the group's native tongue, so I got to learn. I, I started learning the route, and I and I kind of refined what I felt was good in in the route that they would take around the city, and I incorporated a lot of that. And I said to myself, "Well, you know what? I think I would do this a little differently. I would kind of feel them out for the interest of what their interests were. Were there certain characteristics like the German visitors?" you know, preferred 
I don't know, maybe they like the soccer team, the Sting back in the day, and, well, and the Japanese certain... were probably into baseball. Or is there any no, generalizations like that? Or they they did know some things, and usually the first thing that I would kind of get out of them was, "Have you ever been to the United States before?" Uh, some groups, nobody had ever even been to the United States. Uh, have you ever been to Chicago before? Have you ever been to the Midwest before? So you kind of feel them out for what they know, you know, what level are they in interest? Uh, obviously, we grew up in Oak Park. So, you know, the Frank Lloyd Wright and the architecture in Oak Park is very unique. But even with that, there are certain things out there that we take we take for granted that they don't, that they're fascinated by. You know, and sometimes these things will catch you off guard. They'll see a squirrel running down the street and it blows their mind. You know, they'll see geese and it just, they're like, oh my God, I'll take them down an alley. And in certain parts of Europe, they don't have alleys. So this is all brand new to them of what, what we do. So sometimes you have to stand back and really look and observe what's going on. You know, what's a typical, you know, a lot of times we would do tours Sunday mornings. You know, what's going on on a Sunday morning that's typical to Chicago? What's going on that's typical to the United States? You know, are people going to church? Are they going out to get the paper? Are they going out for a couple Starbucks? Um, are they taking that Starbucks with them back home? I mean, all of these things are new to them. Uh, that they're not used to doing. So it's very so, fascinating. So what sites what sites were the overall favorites for the groups? Like I can presume that, you know, the Sears Tower back then it was the Sears Tower or Buckingham mm-hmm. Fountain or Grant Park or you know Museum. Do you know Science why Buckingham Fountain were all pretty And do you know why Buckingham Fountain is so popular? And, and all of the Europeans want to see it. Do you have any idea, Paul, why? No. It's because it's on Maybe. the lead-in to the TV show Married with Children. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they want to see. That is not what I was going to guess. <laughs> I yeah. would have never guessed it either. Until That's like the Rockies. Yes. It's like the Rocky <laughs> statue in Philadelphia, yes. right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I got to run up those stairs and raise a TV show that that wasn't even filmed in Chicago or anything. That's what they wanted to see. They, Bundy uh, was from Ohio, didn't he yes. play for Ohio State or something like yeah, that? Something like that yeah, something like that. Yeah. You know what I? It the hardest tours to give are ones where it's the same group of say employees that maybe it's their sixth visit to Chicago. Okay. First time visitors to Chicago, that tour is real easy because everything is new. But uh, somebody that's been here a lot, those tours are a little tougher because you want to, you don't want to show them the same things over and over again. You want to show them something new. You want to show them something that uh, maybe they don't know about. And it's the same way if if I've, you know, given, like, say, if I gave you and, and your daughters or your wife a tour of Chicago. I mean, my goal would be show them something that they don't, they've never known about Chicago. They've never seen before. And they say, oh my God, uh, I never knew that was there. 
That that actually is exactly what happened to us. Well, it, my oldest was an eighth grader, and she got into a contest for the Chicago Water and Reclamation District, and and you know was one of the finalists. You know, like when you do those science boards. Yeah. And hers had to deal with that, and so then we got a tour of the you know the riverboat tour architecture tour. And mm. of course, living here our whole lives, we'd never done that, right? Just like yeah. I've actually never been inside the Frank Lloyd Wright home and studio, even though I oh, lived okay. a mile from it. But, but uh, you know, that was the first time we had ever seen that that tour. It's an amazing tour. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I'd driven past that area a thousand and one times, but I'd never seen it sure. from the river's perspective. Sure. As a matter of fact, I believe uh, yesterday. Didn't we celebrate one of the anniversaries of the Chicago Fire? I believe we did. I don't know if I celebrated that, but yeah. Well, we didn't (laughs) celebrate it, but we honored it. I believe the 8th, October 8th. We honored it. the anniversary. Now, what was, was, I mean, since you had all these people coming from outside, I mean, this is a great chance to learn an outside perspective. Over all these tours and, and, and working so closely with them, did you gather over the years any sense of what their impression of the city was you know and i think this is pretty fascinating question if i may say so myself because i'd love to know what other people think of chicago they really enjoy it everyone that i i i don't think anyone that i ever spent time with from outside of the country did not enjoy their time in chicago and did not relish their time in Chicago, and the reputation preceded ourselves. So, you know, at a certain back then, every employee they said every employee within the first five years from Weber Worldwide would come to Chicago. This is the headquarters is, are here up here in, at the time and up in Palatine, and their distribution center and their um, uh, factories in Huntley, Illinois. So, I would get groups that would come in that had heard the stories from the year before, the two years before about Chicago. And everybody that came in just was so excited about spending time in the city. And they were just have, even to this day, I still have people that I am in contact with that talk about how much they enjoy their time visiting Chicago. And it really does. Any sense, any sense on what it was that they liked about the city? I mean, obviously, the tour guide was outstanding. Well, and, like, and I, I think, you know, reflecting upon it is there. It's very hard to and sometimes I would ask what they what they thought the city was going to be going to be like before they got here. You know what their preconceived notions were about Chicago. And and I think that whatever their preconceived notions were compared to what they saw when they got here were completely different. For one, they would always tell us how clean the city was, that they felt that our city was so very clean that everywhere they went. And I'm not saying we didn't just stick to Michigan Avenue. You know, we took them to other places, but they still made note that there was no graffiti. There was no, it was just clean. So that was a big impression. Uh, but, you know, different little things that I think they they really do appreciate the variation in the architecture. 
And when you travel to other places in the world and you realize Chicago really is unique in its architecture. I mean, we hear a lot about that. We're always hearing about how unique the architecture in Chicago is, but you really don't realize it until you go to other places in the world. So, and as part of our tour, we always go to the planetarium and so they can do a group photo and they love taking pictures there. And well, that I remember, view is amazing. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, I thought a lot about that view. And, you know, I've done my fair share of traveling to big cities around the world. And there are very, very few big cities where you can stand in one place and get the whole skyline in one in one in one false swoop. And that point in Chicago is yeah. one of those places. I don't know of any other place in the United States you can do that. I know you can't do that in New York, uh, in L.A., maybe Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong might be one you can do it in. But, yeah. From, uh, uh, and it's just see, very in spectacular. Hong Kong, there's Kowloon. And, and yeah, you can go up to the top Victoria of the hill Island. in uh, yeah. in Hong Kong and get the whole harbor and everything. So, but uh, but yeah. Was there certain highlights within the city that, that whether you're from South Africa or India or anywhere that everyone wanted to see or got to see? And, um, and were oh, there yeah. certain ones yeah. that were um, far more... I found that if you're, even if you didn't understand baseball one bit, everybody loved going up and around Wrigley Field. So they were fascinated by the rooftops. Uh, there was just little things that you would stop at and they were just fascinated by. And you're like, okay, well, we'll just go with this. We had a woman who, she was from, from the Netherlands, from Holland. And she told me, she goes, oh, I love that TV show, Chicago Fire. I'm like, okay. So what did I do? Uh, we were on our tour. We went down to the firehouse just a little bit south of St. Ignatius. And we took the tour of the firehouse where they filmed the show. And Wait, was that on Roosevelt Road? or It's just south it, of Roosevelt just... Road. Yeah. It's south of Roosevelt Road. Because there is a uh, firehouse right there on Roosevelt across that the has been decommissioned. But, that was that used to be the oldest firehouse in the city of Chicago, but it's actually been decommissioned yeah. now. There's uh, a firehouse right there on Roosevelt across that the has Higgies, been decommissioned. But, that was that used to be the oldest firehouse in the city of Chicago, but it's actually been decommissioned yeah. now. Uh, but this one is a little bit south, right down the street from that Angle Street down from St. Ignatius. By the oh, YMCA yeah. is on the one side. It goes right Edge through, south. yeah, YMCA and UIC. So the one guy, because a lot of people come in there, he gave us the most incredible tour. And so they put the fire coat on this woman. It didn't hurt that she was a very good looking blonde, you know, Nordic woman. We were taking pictures. They, he brought her into the different spots in the firehouse that they filmed the show in. We saw where all the good moments happened in the show. We just had a great time. And oh, um, awesome. So awesome. you never know when somebody brings something up, you know, we we dig in, you know, um, they all do enjoy. There's Sp actually right by the um, uh, the Art Institute. There's actually a uh, the road sign for the start of Route 66. Um, not to get technical, but Route 66 used to start at Jackson and Michigan Avenue. But when the in, yeah. 19, in the 50s, the streets went one way. 
so then it got moved to Je- to Adams. So, uh, but it was originally at the for some reason the groups absolutely love Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. <laughs> it's, yeah, I know it's the most touristy place in the world, but for some reason every European loves that place. I don't know why, but they do. And uh, <laughs> they, uh, so of course, we always make sure it's somebody's birthday when we go. And, you know, uh, usually the quietest, shyest girl in the whole place, you know, of our group, you know, so we do do fun things. And, you know, they, by the end of their trip, we've had a great time. They, um, I don't, I won't stay out really late with them, uh, but I will drop them off. Uh, depending on where we're going. They love the blues. Europeans love blues clubs. And luckily in Chicago, we do have quite a few blues clubs. So um, we make sure that that gets incorporated. Um, The actual CEO of our company, not CEO of our company, our former CEO, now the um, uh, president of the the board of directors, one of the original founder's son, one of his sons, is a good friend with Buddy Guy. So I... So he met us there once. He's like, oh, I'll take you guys to Buddy Guys. We showed up and here he is. Like, he's got all the tables ready for us. And, you know, he hung out with us the whole night and, you know, he's had a great time. So, you know, um, you know, the, the way I do my do tours and the way I travel and, you know, I do a lot of personal travel and I, I just I'm very relaxed and I I feel like sometimes the the world will evolve evolve the way it's supposed to it it might not make sense at the moment but when you stand back eventually it will make sense you know you make the wrong turn you go the wrong way you know um maybe you run into somebody or something or uh that you never would have seen before you know and that kind of serendipity i feel is you know what makes travel and the world go round so yeah yeah very much very much well all right pete so you know in addition to your professional side you also do volunteer at children's memorial i did well i started out at children's memorial and i then when they moved to lurie i continued on at lurie i no longer volunteer there Uh, i did 13 years things got uh, kind of switched up a little bit when with covid so uh, it, I felt like it was my time to to move on and let somebody else take the reins. But um, I worked in the uh, Wednesdays in the Family Life Center, kids three to thirteen, for my whole career there. It was a playroom. I had a fantastic time. I really enjoyed working with the kids. I was trained all the way down to the uh, to the PICU, and I was trained all the way up through the teens and through a lot. Some of the patients there will stick with the same doctors, the same specialists. So I want to say the oldest current patient at Lurie Children's is 42 years old, just because he's with a specialist and uh, he just stays with that specialist the whole time. So, but uh, uh, I've just, you know, through my experience there, I learned a lot. I, uh, I got involved with just some really great kids and some patients that there was one patient that I literally knew. I met him when I first started at Children's Memorial. 
And I saw him one of the last days before I was finished when he was 19 years old. Uh, and I literally saw him every time he was at that hospital through my whole career. And him and I became uh, close. He was, he, was, he was one tough cookie when I first met him. He could chew up a nurse and spit her out. And, <laughs> you know, he could send, you know, workers to tears. I mean, he was one tough little hombre. And I didn't, you know, he met me and he met his match. And I didn't take any of his, any of his you know, crap. And him and I formed a pretty tight friendship because of that. And he, um, you know, he started to respect me and he started to trust in me and he started to look for me when he came in. And towards the end, he would say to me how glad he was that I would stop to see him. And how happy he was. And, you know, here's a kid where I remember walking into him once. He was with one of the therapists. And he said to me, he goes, excuse me, can't you see I'm trying to work on my emotional control here? <laughs> and I had to turn around <laughs> to not just break out laughing. <laughs> what he was saying. But now, I uh, mean. When you volunteer, you're just, you know, you're given of yourself to the, the kids and, and to the hospital. And then what was that like where you're just sort of donating time, you're donating caring, you're, you're just trying to you have to leave yourself through the one thing you have to remind yourself all the time is you don't know the backstory. You don't know what that kid's been through. You don't know what's happened before you walked in that door. You have to keep your mind completely clear of, uh, with no preconception, with no, you know, uh, how this kid's supposed to react to me or anything like that. You really have to stay a real open book with not only the patient, but some of the kids that you work the most with are the siblings. And a sibling sometimes ah, interesting. is going through far more psychological trauma than the patient because the patient is getting all the attention. The sibling is not. Yeah. So, but the sibling is still processing this whole thing in their little mind. Uh, so who knows how they're processing this? I mean, I remember, I'll never forget, I had a kid. He was, I was going to bring him down to the playroom. And his big concern was, he said, what if my brother dies while I'm down there? And normally, if somebody said that, a kid said that, you would think, oh, that's an over-exaggeration. Your brother's not going to die. But at that hospital... And the floor that that kid was on, there was a distinct possibility that that his brother could have died, could die when he's down there. And you have to treat yeah. that yeah. very seriously that, you know, and I remember talking to him and saying, and literally laying out the steps. If something happened up in the room, literally laying out 
what the procedure would be to get him back up to that room and how fast that would happen. And once he heard that, he felt a little more comfortable coming down. But even then coming down and, and trying to get a kid to forget about what's going on in the hospital with their sibling and just relax and have fun or whatever, it's a very hard thing to do because in the back of their mind, they're thinking about their sibling. And they're very nervous and they're very scared and they're very worried about their siblings. So, um, but, uh, so that was an aspect that I never realized was going to come into play. And, you know, we, you run so into what, a lot that's, of, it's pretty fascinating, you know, like where, where you, you were there 13 years yeah. and I could just imagine it Over was 2, very hours. intense yeah. all that time. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And what, what kept bringing you back? I mean, it may seem obvious, but maybe it's not obvious. Maybe it's um, not. I think that I probably should talk about what got me into it. Yeah. I I feel like something internally said something to me. I um, I was there was a couple little things that had always stuck in the back of my mind. One was when I was four years old, I had fluid in my ears. Uh, and I had to go to Northwestern. This is before any children's hospitals. And they had to do a procedure where I had to stay overnight a few days. And I remember that experience vividly to this day. You know, and back then, you know, it's not like today where, you know, your parent would hang out with you the whole time. No, back then your parents went to work. So, you know, I remember, Yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. you know, you're lucky if your mom showed up after work, you know, and uh, for a few hours, but uh, you were on your own. So, and the fact that I Time's remember really that, that's for sure. So well, I kept saying to myself, who do I, you know, when I was first started volunteering, I'm like, who would I have wanted to come in and spend time with me when I was that age in the hospital, you know, what would be the ideal person to walk in and hang out with me? So, and that's the person I wanted to be. And then, awesome. so awesome. that had been swirling in my head. I was uh, preparing for, at the travel agent, our boss one day decided we were all going to do a stair climb, uh, even though nobody in our office was in shape. So I started training for it. And I was down at a, Friends building, which is a 53-story building, kitty corner from Holy Name Cathedral. And I would go down on Saturday morning and do the stairs twice for training. And one day I was I would see other people on the stairwell. And I had stopped to take a breather, and another woman had stopped also. And I said, Oh, you know, uh, what you know, what stair climb are you doing? Because there's three of them in Chicago. And she said, yeah. uh, at the time we were doing the Hancock building, she said, oh, I'm doing the children's one at the Aeon building. And I said, oh, I'm doing the one at the Hancock building. And so we're like, oh, cool. You know, uh, good luck. And, you know, I, she said, good luck. And we were getting ready to go our separate ways. And she turned to me and she said, you know, you should volunteer at children's. And then she left. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting there. She's gone. I'm sitting there like, why would she say that to me? What does this mean? 
You know, it was really uh, something. I'm like, yeah. Did she just give me a message from wherever? You know, and uh, so I said, you know what, I'll look into it. And uh, I looked into it, and it all fell into place at the right. You know, I went in, and the right day was open. And it's such a bizarre right message. Yeah, I always did Wednesday afternoons, and it was very interesting because everybody knew that. My phone would never ring. Nobody would ask me to do anything. I mean, obviously, if work came up, I would, that would supersede, you know, uh, they would override it. But everyone yeah. knew. Yeah. And nobody wanted to be the person that told me, no, you can't go volunteer with little kids today. So it well, was amazing on a, how I mean, things like, would, went around that. So, quite fascinating. What kind of jerk so. would a boss have to be to be like, hey, you know, exactly. I know you're going to go volunteer <laughs> with the sick little children at the children's hospital, but yes. you're going to have to yeah. work on the TPS reports here today. That's know? right. Like, exactly. Yeah. So a meeting would come That's up and they'd be like, fun. oh, I forgot about your, your volunteer work. And they'd be like, how about we meet on Tuesday instead of Wednesday? So, yeah, it all worked out. So um, I also started oh, volunteering cool. on holidays, too. Um, I felt it was important to spend different holidays down there whenever I could and did my part with, you know, meeting with the kids. And some of the holidays were pretty tough. You know, when you dealt with the DCFS kids, you could, you could tell pretty quickly who had nobody, you know, who, yeah. what yeah. rooms, and even in the little babies, you know, um, you just, you gravitated to certain kids like, you know what, this kid, Maybe they're too young to realize what the holiday is, but they know something's up stuff. So, um, and ironically, of oh, all you know, the I've worked in, yeah, go ahead, Paul. No, I've worked in hospitals, you know, my whole career and, yeah. and the, the, the people who come in to the neonatal ICU or, I mean, not the ICU, but when they're out of the ICU and they sit and they hold the babies so that somebody is holding them. I yes. think that is a special category of angel type person who goes and yes. does that because those babies need to be held and it's uh, volunteers who come in and sit with them and hold, hold the babies and let the babies connect with the human. And it's so critical that they do so. And you can, age. I've I always found that, been amazed by them. Yeah. And I found when I've held babies that you, you can meditate with a baby on your lap to where as you slow down your breathing and you just have the thought of calm, love, and you say wow. these internally it's a mystical in you experience. As, well, uh, so have we missed anything, you know? No, uh, I just want to add one more thing on, about, on the, you know, on the, uh, Lori is the one, um, the one, uh, holiday that I always felt was the hardest uh, and I know, you know, you've done tours of duty uh, in your military career. So you've spent holidays away from home, uh, but you're spending it all with the yeah. same group of people. Um, the pro the holiday that I always probably struggled the most with volunteering was of all holidays, the 4th of July. And the reason I struggled with that wow. was... You would go into a patient's room. There was nobody else there. And you would start talking. And the patient would say to you, what are you going to do after you leave here today? 
and you can't lie to them. And you say, they're like, are you going to a barbecue? I'm like, yes. Are you going to, what are you going to eat at that barbecue? And when you're in a hospital, as you know, Paul, one of the things you don't talk a lot about is food because you don't know what the food requirements are. You know, for all you know, that kid can't eat anything solid. You just don't know, you know, going in. You as a doctor would know, but me as a volunteer would not know. Uh, So you can't bring up like, oh, hey, what's your favorite pizza? And that kid might not be able to eat pizza. So, but the kids would ask you, you know, describe. Thanks, Mr. Volunteer, for making my holiday (laughs) suck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you'd be telling the kid, you know, yeah. And, but sometimes you would fantasize with the kid and you would say, well, if you could eat anything you wanted, what would you eat? What would be at the table of the barbecue? You know, and then you let them describe it in detail and then you describe what you want in detail and you describe what it would be like going to see fireworks but deep down, you knew you were going to do all those things. And that kid's not. That kid's going to be staring out the window. That must have been emotional. Yeah. It was tough. It was a tough one, you know, to know that you're going to be. And, and you, all you want to do is grab that kid by the hand and say, come on with me tonight. But you know what I mean? That's that's the urge yeah, you have. Yeah, to the barbecue. Yeah, exactly. So, but uh, But you know what? The fact that you were there talking with this kid meant far more than if nobody walked in that room that day. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's all I really want to say about the the volunteering. So, but uh, I don't know what's left on our list, Paul. Thanks very much for all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you got a plug, you know, if you want people to contract you as a photographer. Well, you, uh, I do a lot of unique photography which we really haven't even touched on my photography career, which is what I do for a living. I, uh, as you can tell, I'm pretty attuned to people. So I've photographed a lot of different people. I photograph animals. Uh, I photograph little kids. I photograph families. I do a lot of corporate work, um, website uh, design and, you know, and corporate things. Uh, I mean, my background's in action photography. So I can photograph just about anything and I enjoy photographing just about anything. And, uh, um, you can more than happy to look me up on, on Facebook under Peter Wagner. You could see me, uh, I've got a camera in my hand and I'm sticking my head out of an airplane. And, um, on my Instagram site is Peter Wagner creative and, uh, feel free to, to take a look. And if you're looking for a, photographer uh feel free to connect up with me uh my email address is peter wagner creative at gmail.com i'd be more than happy to talk with you about any uh type of photographic needs that you'd want so uh that's about it paul well i'll I'll have all of this in the uh in the show notes yeah 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 absolutely well thank you everybody for having a listen i hope you enjoyed the show And if you have a topic you would like to have us discuss or comments or feedback, please either log on to www.paulbrianroach.com. That's Brian with a Y. And click on the About and Contact page or just send your questions directly to 
letters at paulryanroach.com. Thank you again and have a great one. Bye-bye.